0: Guys, grab your Bibles, open up to the book of John. Actually, um, I think I'm gonna have you guys open. Where am I having you open? Anywhere you want in the Bible is good. <laughs> I don't even remember where I'm having you open. It's too many pages in, in my notes, but it's good. We're gonna start in John. So I'm in the midst of a series right now called The Word for 2018, and we're talking about, for me, the most important important prophetic word that, that's being spoke of over my life is Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. I've got nothing more important to say to you today, Doug Woman, than Jesus. I've got nothing more powerful to say to you. In fact, I don't need anything more powerful to say to you today than Jesus. Everything we need is packed in Jesus, huh? and we're looking in the book of John there are seven different times that Jesus self discloses who he is to us he tells us something about himself so that we can know who he is in our lives And he uses the same sacred name that God used in the book of Exodus. He calls himself, I am, right? In fact, the second scripture in your notes, John 8, 58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, again, I love when Jesus says truly, truly, (laughs) like the truth needs to tell us that. What is he saying? Pay attention, right? You guys listen up. I'm telling you something really important. I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And I love the name I am. Not only was Jesus identifying with the sacred name in the book of Exodus, but Jesus was letting us know, no matter when you are or where you are, I am. No matter what you're going through, I am. And then as we've been talking through um, last week, the week before that, we began to talk about how Jesus talked about he was the bread. I am the bread of life. He's our sustenance. He's our provision. But today, we're going to launch into the second of those seven I am phrases. And we're in John chapter 8 in your notes, verse 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, "How I do mean, you know, if he again spoke to them, we want to know who they are, right? What's going on in the context of what he's saying? We're going to start to unpack that this morning. As we continue talking about this second phrase, we're going to unpack it a little bit by little bit. I think it was Gordon Fee that said, uh, a text can never mean to us what it would never have meant to the original hearers. Does that make sense? So uh, when we're reading scripture, it can never mean to us what it would not ever have meant to the original hearers. So we want to understand what God was speaking to them so then we can, through the Holy Spirit, interpret and apply that to our lives today. So context is important. Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am, here's his phrase, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light I'm going to take a few things off quickly just so that we can get a, a kind of a big picture of the context and we'll zero in on the immediate context as we move along. But in your notes, you can write this, John himself, he loves the word light. It is used 23 times in the book of John, that exact Greek word. And it's used six times in the little Johns. You know what the little Johns are, right? 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So he uses it 23 times in the Gospel of John and 6 times in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So it's an important word to John. In fact, right out of the gate, in John chapter 1, after he begins the prologue, within the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 4 it says, life came into being because of him. Who's him in this verse? Anyone know? Jesus, it's not a trick question. (laughs) It's like any question in children's church. The answer is always Jesus, right? So life came into being because of Jesus, for his life is light. There's our word, for all humanity. How many of you like that? His life is light for all humanity. And this living expression, or the word, the logos, is the light that bursts Through the gloom. So if you're gloomy this morning, the light bursts through the gloom. The light that darkness could not diminish. That's awesome, right? The light that darkness could not diminish. When I read that verse, I'm reminded that I've never walked into a room in the middle of the night and started yelling at the darkness. Never, ever have I walked into my living room and it's pitch black and said, darkness, get away, darkness, get out of here. Nope. What do I do? Turn on the light because where there is light, there cannot be darkness, right? Light drives out the darkness. Darkness is simply the absence of light and John tells us so Jesus the darkness could not and cannot Diminish the brightness of his glory you can write this in your notes light is large in John's writing He writes about light often So the question then for me is not just what is the word light about in the book of John? Because that would be an all-year or a multi-year study 23 times, right? We'd be studying that for a while. And then we go into the little Johns and six more times we'd be studying about light. So the question for me when he says, I am the light of the world, is what is Jesus' immediate context when he says, I am the light of the world? What's he talking about? Well, what we're going to begin to unpack this morning, and you can write this in your notes, is that Jesus is our fire by night. Jesus is our fire by night. By night, I love it. Present tense, I am right wow. now. Now, where do you get that from, Brent? How co- how can you say that? If if you look in your notes at John eight twenty, just a few verses after the verse we just read, John eight twenty, it says these words. This sermon he's he's speaking, or this this message he's speaking to them about being the light of the world. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. So now we have a location for where he spoke it, right? He's in the temple, but not just the temple, but a specific place in the temple grounds called the treasury. So that's going to be important for us. Not only is the location important, but the timing is important. In your notes, the Jews had just finished celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, So this is one of the major feasts that God had commanded them to celebrate about when Israel was going through and wandering through the wilderness and they had to to every day get up and not know which direction life was going to take them because they were constantly mobile and they had the tabernacle and they all lived in tents, tabernacles, right? Hence the, the feast of tabernacles or of booths or of tents. So they've just finished. In fact, that's in, in the Feast of Tabernacles is when Jesus stands up and says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And, and, and he'll, there'll be a living water will flow up from within him, a river of living water, right? That's where Jesus says this during this season of the Feast of Tabernacles. That feast has just ended, all right? Now, here's the important part for us. In your notes, during that feast... The treasury, which was a part of the court of women, that's the specific area of the temple they're in, where this is a place where all the Jews could come and it was lit up. During the Feast of Tabernacles, the court of women was lit up and the Jews were there, as it says in your notes, they were dancing, they were singing, there was laughter and there was joy around those lights, around the fire. And the reason there was so much light and so much fire during the Feast of Tabernacles in your notes is because these lights were a reminder to them of the cloud by day and the fire by night that led Israel. So this is the context. Jesus is in the treasury, which is in the court of women. We are just now, the Feast of Tabernacles is over and those those fires are no longer lit. It's kind of like it's like I feel sometimes after Christmas. You know, the Christmas is over, the lights are coming down, right? And my, my, even my, my uncle Donald, he was, he was our Santa Claus when I was growing up. And he would play the part, and it was a big celebration. Our family had a blast. And, and my dad would read the Christmas story, and we would unwrap our presents. And the very next day, I cannot, I mean, so many times, probably every year of my life growing up, my uncle would walk out that next morning and he would go, Santa Claus done brought himself to town. Like it's over. Christmas is over. He was announcing to us and letting us know it is done. So this is the same kind of context. The feast is over, the joy, the laughter, all the stuff that's been happening, the lights have been taken down. And Jesus steps into that environment where they've been remembering all the fire, all the light, reminding them of the fire by night. Jesus steps into that setting, and he says, I am that fire. When he says, I'm the light of the world, their minds immediately go to what they've just been doing. They've been celebrating that feast, and they remember... You guys remember the last words we studied? Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And he was reminding them through their own conversation that he was the manna, right? When you read about manna, he says, you're reading about me. Now he tells them, he begins to unpack more and says, hey, let me give you another revelation. I'm the fire that led Israel by night. Now, when they heard that, of course, they're going to remember Exodus chapter 13 in your notes. The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Now, I want to, I want to look a little deeper into this. So here is the scripture that I was wanting you to turn to, the book of Numbers, chapter 9, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers chapter 9, I want to, I want to take a look at this passage that kind of unpacks a little bit more for us and what they would have remembered about the story of how Israel was led by the fire by night and the cloud by day. So Numbers chapter 9, verse 15, says, now on the day that the tabernacle was erected, The cloud covered the tabernacle. So this is when it began. The cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of testimony. And in the evening, it was like the appearance of fire over the tabernacle until morning. So it was continual, continuously, the cloud would cover it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud was lifted from over the tent, afterward, the sons of Israel would then set out and in the place where the cloud settled down, then the sons of Israel would camp. At the command of the Lord, the sons of Israel would set out, and at the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud settled over the tabernacle, they remained camped. Even when the cloud lingered over the tabernacle for many days, the sons of Israel would keep the Lord's charge and not set out. If sometimes the cloud remained a few days over the tabernacle, according to the command of the Lord, then they remained camped. Then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. Keep reading with me, verse 21. If sometimes the cloud remained, look at this, from evening until morning, overnight. When the cloud was lifted in the morning, they would move out. Or if it remained in the daytime and at night, whenever the cloud was lifted, They would set out whether it was two days, or a month, or a year that the cloud lingered over the tabernacle, staying above it, the sons of Israel remained camped, and they did not set out. But when it was lifted, they did set out. At the command of the Lord, they camped, and at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the Lord's charge according to the command of the Lord through Moses. I want you to write this in your notes. Jesus' spirit is our internal GPS. For them, the cloud by day and fire by night was external, right? It's something they saw. And that's good because it gives us a great picture. So Israel, they may... This is a crazy thought, isn't it? How would you like to live your life like this, all right? I want you to think about this. You see the cloud or the fire, because it could happen at night. You see the cloud or the fire, day or night, moving, and you're following that cloud, right? Right? And then it settles down and it is not like you just pull out your sleeping bag, right? I mean, you've got to set everything up again. The Lord, the tab- tabernacle of the Lord, his, that were their, their center of worship in the center of the camp, that has to be set up. Everything that has to do with their sacrificial system has to be set up and ready to go. All of them have to set their own individual tents up. They have to get all their utensils out. They have to prepare for life they're always packed, they're nomadic, they're always ready to be mobile, right? So maybe that night you go to bed and two o'clock in the morning, you hear the sound and you know, oh man, the fire is moving. We have to get up, right? So you get up in the middle of the night, you take everything and you pack everything back up and you bundle it up and in the middle of the night you keep going until the cloud, however long the, the, the fire is, is moving in front of you, you continue to move until it settles and then you unpack again. So this time you, you lay down and you're, you're bushed and you're tired and a day goes by and then a week goes by and then a month goes by and then a year goes by you'd be tempted to take your eye off the cloud, right? Okay, if if it was maybe like those few days where it seemed like a day or two or maybe three and, and you're always constantly, no matter what you're doing out of the corner of your eye, you're like, what's the cloud doing, right? Okay, you're trying to do the task at hand, whatever it is that you're, you're supposed to be doing that day, you're trying to do the task at hand, but there's always something that you're looking out of the corner of your eye, right, and you're like, or turning around like, there's the cloud, is it still there? Okay, the cloud's still there, or somebody is keeping their eye on that cloud, right? How many know after about three, four months, it'd be easy to kind of just, well, that cloud's been here all, now we think I would never not notice the cloud, Right? Because I've never had a cloud lead me around. I've never had a fire by night lead me around. But I want you to imagine years of this, right? Years, 40 years of this, right? And we're imagining day after day, somebody's got their eye on the cloud. It'll be really easy to take your eye off the cloud after a while and get focused on the task. But what the Lord was speaking to them in the book of Numbers, really what he was saying to them is that, I know what's best for you, and I want you to, yes, keep one eye on the task, but I always want you to keep one eye on the cloud. Keep an eye out for what I'm doing. Keep an eye out for where I'm going and what I'm about because your lives are gonna be affected by that. And, and I want you to be led by my spirit. I want you to be led by me. And really, this is Jesus leading them. The cloud even, you could, I've heard read some commentators that said it's like the cloud and the fire. The fire represents his deity and the cloud represents his flesh wrapping his, his deity. I can see that, huh? That this is a picture of Jesus leading them and them keeping their eye on Jesus. Or in our case, though, we may think, well, I don't have a physical cloud to watch. We have something better. Our problem is we don't always believe that. I want to have it like Israel had it. I don't think we really do. (laughs) Oh, I just want to see that cloud or I just want to see that fire when all along the the cloud, the fire is in us every day, all the time. Now he's not going to leave us because he promised that, right? I will never, 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 never. I've told you that before. It takes five English words to match that one Greek word. I will never, 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 never leave you nor forsake you. So he's letting us know, I'm not, I'm not leaving you. How many of you know that we can sense that he is moving us in various ways in our lives? There are seasons of transition that we go through, aren't there? There are times when we sense that one door is closing, right? And another door is opening. In fact, Jesus said in the book of Revelation, he said, I am the one who, he said, I've got the key of David, right? And I open a door that no man can close and I close a door that no man can open. And there are seasons in our lives where he doesn't leave us, but He's moving us, transitioning us to what He has for us. That's good. It would be easy, wouldn't it, to just kind of get locked in on our day to day grind? Maybe some of you have been working your same job for, for five years or 15 years or 20 years. You've been doing it. But there are times that the cloud begins to move, right? the fire begins to, to move and God says, you know what, I've got something for my glory and honor and for your benefit that's better for you that I want to encourage you. Keep your eye on what you're doing and do it with all your heart. Paul talks about that. Whatever you do, do it with all your might. Do it as unto the Lord. But but what we learn from the book of John and from the book of Exodus and from the book of Numbers is not just that we're doing our task, but our eyes aren't on our task as much as they're on the cloud. Our eyes are on the fire. What are you up to in my life, Jesus? What are you wanting to do? Where are you taking me? What are your purposes for me? Because I know that's where I'll experience the, sometimes we'll talk about, we'll talk about, Lord, bless my, my, my plans. Bless my day. Bless the work of my hands. Bless what I'm doing. I mean, know his, his blessing is on what he's doing. So we could ask him to bless what we're doing. And he's good. He loves us. And, and he blesses us, no doubt about it. But there is, a, there is this, a distinct blessing of the Lord on His plan. So He has given us an internal GPS. There is a pillar of fire on the inside of your belly. And the, the way the GPS works is somewhat like the GPS in our, on our phones, that He directs us. Now, how many know a GPS can't steer a parked car. Right? So how many of you have ever been in the parking lot when you started a GPS? That's the worst part of it, isn't it? Because you have no idea where the GPS is wanting you to start, right? You know what I'm talking about? And in our lives, I'm the navigator. I'm definitely not the driver, right? So my job is to punch in the GPS coordinates and to keep an eye on the GPS and try to help Tana as she is navigating. And it works fine in, in, in a lot of instances, except like if we're in Denver or somewhere where the traffic's crazy. And you're in that parking lot, and I have no clue. I don't even get at all where that GPS is wanting us to start out. I wasn't raised on a farm. I don't even know north, south, east, and west. That's terrible, isn't it? I don't even know. But what I do know is if we'll just get on the road, if we'll just, just get on the path, you with me, Ed, yes. the path, right? I'm not saying I know the right way to go. I'm not saying I, I understand at all where I'm supposed to end up. But I do know if we'll just get on the path, if we'll just say, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to go with you, that if I'm going, the, well, first of all, when I begin to get on the path, the GPS does what? Recalculating, <laughs> Right? recalculating, because whatever way I started is inevitably not the right way that it wanted me to go, right? But the good news is the GPS has the destination in mind, and I may have chosen the wrong path. I may have started out in a totally wrong place, but the GPS knows how to get me where I need to get, right? The GPS knows exactly how to get me where I need to get, and so all I got to do is just keep my eye on and ear tuned to what the GPS is saying. Are you with me? This is, I, I know you're catching the, the metaphor. And then sometimes we'll miss the turn. It happened to us the other night. We're headed over to some friend's house that lived in the area of town that we hadn't been to or a out, little outside of town. And we drove past that area. Again, what does it do? Recalculating, right? And it lets you know, turn left up here at this next place. So then it it redirects us. (laughs) The Lord will direct your paths, right? Isn't that what scripture says? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. So then the the GPS doesn't get mad. We get mad. (laughs) But the GPS does not get angry, right? The GPS just simply says, recalculating, and takes you on on the path in order to get you where you need to go. We have that on the inside of us, and there's the inner witness of the Holy Spirit that you and I could say, "I don't know which choice to make. I I don't know." Have you ever been at a crossroads and you get you're like, "I just want to have one decision," but instead you got two. You're like I, I've got two decisions to make. What if I make the wrong one? Now, it's one thing if you're like, you know what, I don't really even give a rip what the choice is. I'm going to put the pedal to the metal, and I'm going to drive my car into a pole. The GPS will let you do that, right? It will let you drive your car into a pole if you want to. But if your heart is, I really do want to go the right direction. I just don't know what the right direction is. The good news is the GPS knows. And if you go the wrong way, God will redirect you. You don't have to worry about it. Everywhere. Oh, no, what if I miss God? What if I do it wrong? What if I make the wrong choice? What if I, what if I go the wrong direction at this crossroad? Anybody ever been at a crossroad in their life before? I don't know if I'm supposed to go left. I don't know if I'm supposed to go right. I love that verse in Isaiah. You know, I look to the left, I look to the right, but there's a voice behind me that says, this is the way, right? And so God will make sure that we end up where we're supposed to be. His, what, he, what, what he's speaking to us out of this passage this morning in Numbers is, keep your eye on the cloud, Keep your ear towards the the cloud and towards the pillar of fire. Pay attention to that inner witness on the inside of you. Now you can keep, we've done this before, you're going the wrong way and you keep going the wrong way because you can't figure out still what you're supposed to do. Have you been there? and It just keeps recalculating and it keeps recalculating. It keeps recalculating. Now you can't, this is something I really believe about our, our walk with Christ. You can't stop and, and totally uh, abort God's, if your heart is, I want to do what he wants. You can't totally abort what he wants to do in your life, but you can slow it down. Now, I'm not saying you don't have the choice to abort it. You could say, I want to run the car into a pole. You can do that, right? And the GPS will let you. So you could choose to abort it, but if your heart is, I want to do the right thing, you're not going to ruin your destiny. If your heart is, I want to go the right direction, but what he wants to train us to do is to begin to hear that inner voice on the inside of us and pay attention to the I am that is always burning, always speaking, always directing us, and always willing to recalculate us so that we don't slow down the process. Now, again, he'll get us there, but have you ever been late using the GPS? You still got there, right? But I believe the Lord wants to, and then there's also something. I mean, we can't, you can always run a metaphor into the ground, all right? God's much bigger than a GPS, and He can also redeem time. And He can get you somewhere you weren't supposed to get sooner than you're supposed to get there, right? He can do that too, all right? But the point of the wisdom in the passage is pay attention. Pay attention because I'm here I'm speaking I care about your life and if you will just continue to and this might, I'm, again ed I love this about what you always say just stay on the path even when you wander off and and it feels like you fall off the path all you got to do is say wait a minute Jesus is the way Jesus is the path and, and, I don't know I may not get there exactly when I originally thought I was gonna get there but I trust the inner GPS that he's gonna make sure I end up where I'm supposed to end up he's our internal GPS That's part of what this teaches us, but this isn't the only passage that they would have thought about that day. There was also a prophetic promise because this spoke about the cloud and the fire that was over the big tabernacle. And so they followed the people who were following the cloud. The masses of Israel maybe weren't necessarily always watching the cloud and the fire, but those that were in charge of moving that tabernacle, the Levites, they were that was their job. What's the cloud and the fire doing? Keep an eye out. Some one of those levites would have to keep watch. And so the people of Israel would watch the people, and some of them probably watched the people who are watching the people who are watching the people who are watching the cloud. But here's the promise in Isaiah chapter 4 verse 5. And the Lord will create over the whole site over every dwelling place on Mount Zion, and over her assemblies, a cloud and a smoke by day, and the shining of a flaming fire by night, for over all the glory shall be a canopy, a defense of divine love and protection. So they were, they were going to remember this promise that was made to them, that what I'm going to do, God was telling them in, in Isaiah, What I'm going to do is not just have that fire and that cloud over the tabernacle, but it's going to be over every one of of your homes. So this would have been a promise that they would have known that God had made, that there was going to be cloud by day and fire by night for every home. Now, I believe this is, and of course there's prophetic significance for Israel, but I believe Jesus is the fulfillment of this. That over every, what are we? Each one of us individually are the temple of God, right? Each one of us are the tabernacle of God. You're not just watching your pastors to watch the cloud. Please don't do that. (laughs) Because your pastors have to get recalculated too. Don't go on our, uh, where we're at and based on just how we see the cloud. Now, it's wise to listen to counsel, so don't hear what I'm not saying, all right? But what I am saying is God's got something better for you than to watch someone else watch the cloud. That over your canopy, over your um, dwelling is a canopy. Over your home, and you can write this in your notes, Jesus' burning love is divine protection for every home. It's not just his guidance, but this scripture calls that fire a defense of divine love that's what that word canopy is about a defense of divine love and protection isn't that interesting to think that that love is, is your protection what what a thought huh and it's in this heart in this passage is that you would know that that fire and that and that cloud is protecting you day and night It wasn't just a cloud by day or a fire by night. It was a cloud by day and a fire by night. So when Jesus says to them, I'm the light of the cosmos, is the Greek word he uses, of everything and everywhere and everyone, I'm the light. I have come into the world as the light, as we read in John, for all humanity. I am here. The lights may be out in the court of women right now, but the light is shining brighter than any of those lights ever could. And he was the fulfillment of that promise in Isaiah. And he is that fulfillment for us today that he as the fire by night lives on the inside of us. And his intention is not only to guide us, but to also protect us in the journey. You don't have to protect your own heart. God will. Sometimes we pull back From what God's calling us to because we're afraid that we're gonna get hurt Are you with me? And why are we afraid of that because we have been right? We have legitimate reason to be afraid to take the next step God has for us because we've taken other steps before and we put ourselves out there even in relationships are in divine, you know, what, what God was trying to bring together, what looked like a divine connection, only to have someone stab us in the back. You been there? All right, raise of hands. Anyone ever been hurt before? Raise your hands if you've never been hurt. Because we're going to have that altar call for liars at the end. You can tell I'm not finishing my notes today, right? Don't worry. So, we, we want to protect ourselves. We don't, want to, we don't want to be hurt. But one of the things I think this passage is telling us is go ahead. Take this step, leaving your heart in my hands. People might do things that hurt you. And don't forget you're a person that hurts other people too, right? It's always them that hurt me. But we do the hurting too sometimes, right? But maybe you've been wounded. Maybe you went through a marriage that broke up and you're like, I am never putting myself out there again. And I want you to hear the Lord saying, you know, there's a fire in you. I've got you. Another person, another person, yeah, they might make some wrong choices, but I want you to know I'm going to guard and protect and cover your heart. You don't have to build a wall around yourself to protect yourself. I've got that. I've got you. I'm covering you. You can trust me with your heart. You can trust me with your life. You can trust me with your decisions. You can trust me with the next step that I'm calling you to take that you don't even know what it is yet. You can trust me. I'm the light of your world. Amen, let's stand. So if you would this morning, I'm so used to saying even after all these years, bow your head. I don't want you to feel like you even have to do that because making a decision to follow Jesus isn't something anyone needs to be ashamed of or feel like you have to do in secret. Every one of us that have made that decision in this room, there are many of us that have. Maybe, maybe you're here, though, and you, you haven't. Every one of us that have made it are going to do nothing but celebrate that with you. He's the light of your world. Now, listen, you can't make him not shine. That's not an option. You can't do it. You have to purposely close your eyes to try to block out the light. You you with me? You hear hear what I'm saying? You can't make him not shine. In order to live in darkness, you have to close your eyes. You have to choose blindness. But the light has chosen you. The light picked you. You close your eyes and grope around for the rest of your life without Jesus, even though he's right there, shining brightly you could close your eyes and ignore him and pretend and live in a pretend world the rest of your life you could choose to spend eternity without his influence in your life by closing your eyes if you want to but the truth is you'll never stop him from shining you can't do it he's chosen you you can't make him unchoose but you can say yes to his choice just open your eyes and say you know what? I'm going to stop trying to turn the other way, close my eyes, get away from and I'm going to run to him instead of run from him. And you can keep running from him if you want, you can drive your car into a pole if you want to and he'll let you do that and he'll love you all the way. Maybe you're here this morning and you just drove your car into a pole. Blessed insurance. <laughs> Like a good neighbor, Jesus is there. (laughs) He'll even meet you right there, right where you are in that banged up car. And you know what he'll do? He won't duct tape and chicken wire it together. He'll make it new. He makes all things new. Huh? You don't have to drive around with your bumper taped to your car, held together by I Love Jesus bumper stickers. He makes all things new. If you've ran your life into a pole this morning, Jesus meets you right there. If you need to surrender your heart to him and you've not done that before, raise your hand real high and say, okay, I give, I'm, I'm not gonna do this without Jesus. Anyone need to do that today? I don't want you to miss that opportunity. That's the most important decision you'll ever make to open your eyes. Stop running around in life with your eyes closed. Open your eyes to the light that's already shining on you and let that light shine in you. So, Father, the rest of us here this morning, which is the rest of us, (laughs) the rest of us here this morning, Lord, we just say yes to your light. In fact, don't close your eyes right now. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Gross darkness, yes, can cover the world, but his light is rising and shining on and through you. Not only is he the light of the world, but as we're going to learn, you're the light of the world. His light is burning bright in you. He is recalculating and navigating our lives in a way that only he can. And we say to you this morning, Jesus, we trust that internal GPS. We trust you to get us where you want us. We trust you to position us. And even to redeem the time. You know, God, how to even redeem the time if we took a wrong turn 20 years ago. God, you can get us where we need to be in a way that a GPS never could. So we submit to the light of the world, the fire by night that's burning in us. We are loved. We are protected. We're going to put ourselves out there this week. We're going to put ourselves out there, and we're going to trust you that as we do, we can trust you to guard and protect us and cover us and lead us and guide us and all kinds of other stuff that we don't even know about yet. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, give him praise this morning. Amen.